that beautiful sound. Oh, we're it. back, folks. It's every election ever with beer. <laughs> Man, you're going to get it right one day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for. Yes, yeah, Scott Moore, Eddie Zipper, Matt Webb. We are discussing every election in America from the very first one all the way up until 2020. And thank you for joining us on this excursion. Eddie, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. And he's having his beer. He is. What are you drinking, Eddie? Boom, I'm drinking Samuel Smith Taddy Porter. Ooh. Ooh. Sam Smith has a great oatmeal stout. He's also a great singer. Is that Sam Smith? <laughs> it, yeah, not a big fan of him. Okay. What are you drinking, Matt? What chick beer are you drinking this time? I am drinking a, okay, Sons, Four Sons. That's the closest I could get to the Sons of Liberty without buying a Sam Adams, which would have been really cheesy. Four, uh, that would have been super cheesy, by the way. Four Sons Sour K Sour Blonde Ale with Passion Fruit. It's like a Zima. Uh, <laughs> with passion fruit, my God. Just like the founding passion. fathers drank. I have a passion for politics. Wow. I am drinking <laughs> I'm drinking leather britches from a brewery, a brewery, a local brewery. He's also wearing leather britches, by the way. I, well, I'm not wearing britches. Sorry, I'm wearing leather britches, just no underwear. <laughs> Strike that from the record. We call those chaps. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking, uh, what are we talking about today? We got the election of 1796 now. The first real election. Last time, time we knew what was going to happen. We knew this was... There was a favorite. And (laughs) there was a little favorite involved. His name was George Washington. I've heard of him. This time, things get a little ripe. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, it's about to get nasty, and it's going to stay nasty until approximately... Now. <laughs> Until approximately 2016 when we all got back together and sang Kumbaya. This next election will be will be easy compared to this one. I'm, I'm looking forward to this episode, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. Well, uh, number one, it does get nasty now, and it does stay nasty until... Monroe is reelected. That's where that's the era of good feelings. And then it's going to be it's going to be all kumbaya for a minute and then it's going to be get bad again. Point of clarification, but, Eddie. So Monroe was a president? Oh man, Monroe, <laughs> not just a president, one of my top 5 favorite people who have served as president of the United States. Really? I, I really? Can't wait I, to hear I, about I'm, that. I'm interested in this. Yeah. Save it. Save it. Save for it. Monroe. Yeah. Yep. Let me just tell you one thing about Monroe. Just oh. wet the appetite the for teaser. Monroe. The teaser. Here we go, folks. You ever seen, um, have you ever seen the portrait of George Washington crossing the Delaware on the boat? That was the one with the Miller Lot in the other hand, right? <laughs> yes. The guy behind him holding the flag, Lieutenant James Monroe. Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. And when they land and they engage in a battle uh, against a bunch of Hessians who are fighting for the British, James Monroe takes a musket ball to the chest. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Holy cow. 
Yeah, That's awesome. lives to tell the story, later becomes president of the United States. That's really better than a musket chest to the ball, still. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I would just say, screw this place, I'm out. This, this passion for Dale's got me a little silly. Starting to say, you, you silly little girl over there. During the War of 1812, James Madison essentially hands his entire presidency over to Monroe. Monroe is Secretary of War. Monroe is also simultaneously Secretary of, what is he Secretary of? State as well, I believe. And so all the war powers, everything is on Monroe. So Madison just hands the whole presidency over to him. Sounds like he, he handed everything over to him. Everything. Wow. And I mean, Monroe is like leading guys into battle. There you go. But before him, we had a few other presidents. Yes. Oh, that's right. 1796. (laughs) All that is yet unknown to the American people. There you go. Yes. My porter is a little bit more bitter than the last one, which is good because the last one... I was done with before we started talking about the election. Eddie, do you drink your porters lukewarm? Oh, no, not me. Not me. That's how they did it in the beginning. That stuff was warm. Oh, yeah. I mean, before, if they had had refrigerators, they'd have been cooling their porters down, I'm sure. Because even back then, warm beer tastes like piss. (laughs) Where's that buzzer when you need it? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... 1796, finally, we have a real presidential election. We've got, during Washington's presidency, what happened? The creation of political party, Mm. which I believe is a good thing. It's good to have political parties. The era of let's all believe whatever George Washington tells us to, don't love it. The era of good feelings, I don't love that either because it's always good to have one party to police the other party. When everybody I, I agree agrees, with that, but it's also good to have a, a party that's out of power that has to come up with good ideas to regain power or just impeach everybody. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I wish someone would think about that. Yeah, no one's ever come up with that. No one's ever thought about just impeaching someone for this, the littlest little thing. Yep. We now have the two political parties in America. Two major political parties are the Federalists and the Democratic Republican. And for the Federalists, George Washington is definitely out. He served two terms. He did his part. He says, you know what? I got other things in my life I want to do. I don't want to be president for the rest of my life. Hand it over to the vice president. It's like Reagan and Bush. We're handing it over to the vice president. He's going to run for Washington's third term. Yep. And you know, he almost you almost have to feel like Adams deserves it because he just spent eight years in the vice presidency of the United States, which he has said is the most useless office ever created by man. And boy, in the late 1700s, 
that was a very true statement. So, I mean, <laughs> even back then, the, the president would, was, was very protected. His time was very protected. But I've heard stories that the, vi- the vice president, people had no idea who he was. And you could literally walk through his office door and have a conversation with the guy. And he's just there, and he would welcome it because he's so damn bored. Oh, yeah, man. Eventually, like, Adams really shows up to the Senate and presides over the Senate every day. Because he's got nothing else to do. Right, and that's his constitutional duty. But eventually, these vice presidents, they just stop going to Washington altogether. Nice. It actually sounds like a good job to have. It's like the the, the backup QB for, for Peyton Manning, you know, or Tom Brady. The big difference there is that those backup quarterbacks, they be getting paid. And at this time, if you are going to be vice president of the United States, you better have a wealthy family that left you a boatload of money. Because back then, it really was a sacrifice to serve in political office because there was no money in it. Speaking of no money. Oh, man. How bad was it? It was a real, real sacrifice back then. Most of these people, and this goes on for a long time, but most of these people who serve by the end of their life, they start out rich, and that's why they go into politics, because their parents left them a bunch of money, their fathers left them a bunch of money, and so they go into politics. But by the end of their lives, they're busted. They're broke. Jefferson sold his entire library at the end of his life because he just, he just didn't have any money. Yeah. There was no there were no book tours to go on. Yeah, it was a real sacrifice back then. Still, now they say, "Oh, I've made the sacrifice of public service." It's like, "Dude, you make you make $174,000 a year. What the hell are you talking about?" Barely above the the poverty line. So, were there any other federalists that that wanted to step up? besides Adams, or was he always the the favorite to take that nomination? George Clinton is always a person who's on the periphery of being president of the United States at this time. time. Uh, There's always Hamilton. Yep. He's like, he's a high federalist. Hamilton is like one step down from being a monarchist, really. Mm Mm-hmm. This is actually where the political parties develop is in Washington's cabinet. Because you have Secretary of State, Thomas Jefferson. You have Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. And their headbutting is where these political parties really come from. You have the Jeffersonians and the Hamiltonians. And those are your party. Mm-hmm. So they created the, the rub. I, I would not say directly, but indirectly, I would say yes, that they are the progenitors of party politics. But Hamilton never never even runs for president, right? Uh, Hamilton does not have the opportunity to run for president. When we get to the election of 1800, we're going to talk about what got Hamilton <laughs> shot and killed. And much too dead to run for president. So, much so, too dead. So that it happens never, every time. It was not a case of him not wanting to be president for sure. He just didn't get the opportunity. Yeah, he had um he had a pretty big sex scandal that was happening as well. Ooh. And sex scandals in 
the 1700s hurt you more than sex scandals in the era of Stormy Daniels. And listen, you can't think that the, 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 the personal hygiene was where it needed to be back then. <laughs> I mean, sex scandals was, you really had to like somebody back then. <laughs> to do that, I mean. All right, so we have the political parties. We have our Federalists. We have our Democratic Republicans. Federalists are going to win the election of 1796. But after that, that party is dead forever. That's the end of the Federalist Party. Well done to John Adams. (laughs) (laughs) He killed it. What you have to remember is... um, The Constitution says he shall nominate by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, public officials, and judges of the Supreme Court, right? Mm -hmm. And so, by the time that a Democratic-Republican is going to become president, and it's not going to happen in 1796, it's going to happen in 1800, but by the time that happens... Everybody in the entire federal government has been appointed by a Federalist. Ooh, so it's sort of like the machine is in place. Yes. This is like, um, 1796 is sort of a prelude to Fugue. You know, it's like the Godfather Part 1, and then the Godfather Part 2 comes along, and it's like, wow, I thought there could be no movie better than The Godfather, but look, we have one, The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> you know, you it's uh, The Empire Strikes Back. 1800 is The Empire Strikes Back of election. I've never seen The Empire Strikes Back. Bull, there's no way that's true. <laughs> oh, my God. There's no way that's true. Is that a Star Wars? I don't even like Star Wars is movies. Is a Star Wars movie? And I love The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> last, time I, last time I was on um, Politicked, <laughs> I came up with all these questions to ask that I thought would be fun to talk about. So I said, um... Oh, hey, what do you think uh, the new Marvel movies are going to be like? Oh, I haven't seen any of those. (laughs) That was me. What's a Marvel? Yeah, that was me. All right, so the way these political parties creep up is that we have this treaty. I told you in the last episode that by the end of George Washington's presidency uh, that George Washington is being burned in effigy. Half the people love him, half the people hate him now. Well, this treaty is the reason why. Jay's Treaty. That's what we call it. Um, What happened was, in the 1790s, you get the French Revolution. Mm. Boo. Boo, yes. The French Revolution, I like to describe it as... Not the American Revolution. <laughs> Not many people describe it that way, by the way. Some people who are, I would call them Democrats, think that they're very similar, that they're both movements towards liberty. But the French Revolution is a very scary thing if you know what it's about. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, the French Revolution is downright evil. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's messed up. It's not like the American Revolution. It's... Uh, much more a class-based revolution. It's much more murder anybody who 
you think is better than you. But Jefferson is a fan. By the way, I polled this election on my Twitter account. The Adams versus Jefferson election. Yeah. Adams ran away with it. It was... I was surprised. I thought Thomas Jefferson would do better. You know what part of that is? Is there's been a there's been like a, a renaissance or or a I guess a rediscovery of John Adams through this this biography and then this miniseries and things like that. I think people have grown to appreciate him more, especially people of the conservative ilk and on the right. Sort of have said, you know what? We actually like Adams, and and Jefferson was more like a Democrat. I think that's what you're seeing in that poll too. Wow. Well, yes. If if I run a poll on Twitter, for some reason, I seem to have more conservative followers on Twitter than I do uh, liberal followers. And so there is a bias in my polls. They tell you more what conservative mindset is and less what overall mindset is. Yeah. I thought conservatives would like Jefferson better. I'm, oh, really? I myself, I mean, obviously... When it comes to the French stuff, I'm not a fan of Thomas Jefferson, but as a president, because they're both going to be president eventually, I, I like Jefferson as a president better than I like Adams. So tell us about the election. All right, all right. So uh, like I told you, we got political parties for the first time. Like everybody who is part of any political party, this is how people consider the election. They say, oh my gosh. If the other party wins, everything is ruined and the world is over. And by the way, it, it still wasn't by vote of, of the citizenry at this point. It's still a nomination of electors, right? Right. We're a long way away from uh, anything to do with democracy electing the president of the United States. So if Far I'm Jefferson away. or I'm Adams, who who am I campaigning to at that point? Okay, well— you need the electors. That's what it's all about is the electors. So these elections are more elitist driven. Only in several years from now, once we get to the 1820s, that's when you're going to need the common man on your side. Uh, right now you don't. Right now you only need the electors. So let me ask you this question. So now, as the Electoral College as we know it today, the electors generally, except for what we would call a faithless elector like we saw in the last election, generally every elector in a state is going to vote for the same candidate. Was that happening back then? Uh, well, back then the electors could vote any way that they wanted. So the answer to that is no. It wouldn't be a situation where, like, Oh, the popular vote in Georgia was for Trump, so we're going to send 16 Republicans to the Electoral College to vote for Trump. So the state so the state legislature didn't get together and say, you electors are going to vote for this certain person. In a lot of states, you have the electors not being elected by the people. In some states, the electors are elected by the people. But in most states, the electors are simply chosen by the late, by the state legislature. So... If you have a Federalist majority in your state legislature, right. there's a good chance that you're going to get people who go to the Electoral College and vote for John Adams. So very similar still. They're going to pick all Federalist electors who are probably going to vote for Adams at that point. Ish. Yeah. But but the electors have such leeway, and it's so 
Uh, like, the electors are really chosen as people. And so because of that, there is going to be some variation in who is chosen, much more so than now when, like in a lot of states, it's against the law now to go and vote against who the popular vote went for. Right. So were there debates, discussions? How did they even get across their platforms to, to electors oh, in those days? Man, it's it's all through the media, and the media at this time is just screwed up. Ooh, imagine that. What? In a way, the media is better back then, and in a way, it's worse. And the reason is, it is like straight-up partisan media. Nobody has created the idea that, oh, the media should be objective. That literally does not exist. You know if it's a Federalist paper or a Republican paper. Oh, Uh, gotcha, yeah. So they do all of the work, and they are not embarrassed to be fake news. If you think that there's <laughs> fake news now, like, oh, man, we're going to see this so much. Really, really, it's going to shine through in the election of 1800, but it's already cropped up. All of the news media is absolutely 100% partisan, but you know it's partisan. It's, so f- it's great that we live in a country now. Two hundred and twenty years later, it's it's so different. <laughs> yeah, well, the big difference is that nobody back then was pretending to be objective. Yeah. <laughs> we pretend to be objective now. So who 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 dominated the media back then? Did we have a Federalist dominated media, or did we have a, a Republican dominated media? How did that work? It really depended on the state that you were in. I mean, if you're. I got you. If you're hanging out in Virginia, you're going to see more Federalist news. I mean, more Democratic-Republican news outlets. And if you're in New York, you're going to see more Federalist news outlets. What were the big issues? What, what, were, what did this election turn on? All right. Number one, you have this French Revolution. It leads to a war between the French and Great Britain. Now— Part of America, the Federalists are on the side of Great Britain, right? Because they're the Federalists. They're the Anglophiles. On the other side, you have the Francophiles, the people on the side of France. That's the number one divide in the country at that time is going to be the Francophiles versus the Anglophiles. And like I said, this is the election where partisanship just takes a hold of America and runs with it. And I mean hateful partisanship. We hear people complain now about the partisanship in American culture, and they, oh, we're waxing nostalgic for a time before things were partisan. That drives me crazy. I hate that so much. Oh, back when things weren't partisan. It has been that way from... Almost the very, very beginning, but definitely from the election of 1796, it's been that way. Well, I think it, there's a lot of people out there that probably don't understand, that, that do not understand that this is worth almost 300 years into a 50-50 electorate. It's been squarely down the middle all the way up until, all the way since, I should say, the second tour of, of, of George Washington. Half hated him, half loved him. And now you fast forward into this next election, and it's it's very similar. 
it's split right down the middle. Yeah, that's a hundred percent that and that's how it's supposed to be. That's the political parties are really good now at bringing on and getting themselves to fifty percent to half the country. You gotta bring people in. And they're just good at it now. It's a science now. But like I said, it's a good thing to have parties because if you have two parties, they hate each other. People go, oh, oh no, we're not civil. Good, because you know where they're civil in places with one party. And you know what's up with places with one party? They're terrible. Yeah. So the politicians of this era, of this election, what type of promises, what type of what type of platforms were they running on? Mostly at this time, it's so early that they're running on fundamental systemic issues. And Thomas Jefferson is very worried that we're going to become a monarchy, hmm. right? Because the country is brand new. Now we don't have, I mean, I guess we do kind of in the last few years have like systemic debates about you know, oh, get rid of the Electoral College, get rid of the Senate, crazy things like... But wasn't the death of Washington, did not bring any type of any type of, of, of assurance that there would not be a, a monarchy established? Because again, he was really the only one that was popular enough or powerful enough to have been crowned king. Well, I think the fact that he stepped down was proof that this was going to work, right? Because there was some question, and I think probably some rumblings in the between the... Democratic Republicans or Republican Democrats, whatever they called themselves back then, that we're still not convinced that they're not trying to make a monarchy out of this and that Washington's not going to be the king, right, and that he's going to coronate his next leader. Washington stepping down is one of the greatest contributions that a president has made to the American system because it said we can peacefully change leaders within their lifetimes this had never been done in the history of the world. That's a really good point because even even today, other countries almost bask in, in in awe of America's peaceful transfer of power on the inauguration of a an opposition party taking over. You know, typically someone has to die. It's what we always point to, right? Yeah. We always say, no matter how much we disagree, at the end of the day, we go to the ballot box and we vote. And we accept the results of the election, right? <laughs> I mean, we never question the results of the election. We never fight after the fact and try to get somebody out of office that was duly elected. Anything like that. Until now. I'm sure it's, it's, yeah. Where have you been hiding? Yeah. Yeah, it's the the idea that we got to lock up whoever my opponent is in prison. Uh, that stuff. That's scary. Yep. Like, it should not be that way. And it won't be forever. This will pass like everything else. It's been that way many times in our country, so it's not a brand new thing. This is the reason I wanted to do this show, is because the media treats everything like it's a brand new thing that nobody's ever seen before in American history, but nothing is a brand new thing. Right. And everything that's brought up or we're facing is critical. Exactly. Everything new is old. I mean, think about it now, too, right? Think about the the issues that were brought up in this election that we're actually talking about between Adams and Jefferson. We're talking about someone who believed in the strength of the federal government versus someone who totally believed in states' rights and was essentially 
more a fan of the Articles of Confederation than they ever were of the Constitution, right? And so you had someone that distrust government completely, that didn't want anything to do with a fe- strong federal government versus someone who essentially thought Washington should be a king. Those are the folks competing at this point in the presidency. Those that's That's the real issue is how strong do we want our federal government to be and how strong do we want our – Executive and it's it's an old argument. Obviously, it goes all the way back to the turn of the of the seventeen hundreds, the eighteen hundreds. We get that, but isn't it? A, it's it's a kind of a beautiful tribute to the the type of people that that make America what it is. That yeah, it's been the same argument for two hundred and fifty years. How long? However long it's been, but it's a just argument. It's that it's this it's this very fine tuned balance between the government. And in, in states' right in, 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 in the federal government. And because it's such a, a delicate uh, balance, it should be argued, and it should be something that's fought over daily. And every, every time that we try to cede power from the individual to the government, we should debate it. I mean, it should be heavily debated before we turn over power. I mean, that's, that's one of the points of this throughout history is we understand that the federal government needs to have some power. We understand that the individual liberty is paramount in our country, and we need to decide— how important is this issue that we cede some of our individual liberty to the government? For that so, so, Eddie, do you think that these these candidates from the election we're talking about today, if we put them in, time, in a time machine and fast forward to today, would they be, would they be that shocked about what they see? That was such a perfect question because you know what ended up really deciding this election? Russia. <laughs> You know what? The answer is not Russia, but the answer is collusion. Ooh. No kidding. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because the whole problem that we have here, we have this treaty between the United States and Britain. Half people are pissed off about the treaty. Half people are, you know, pumped about the treaty. The ones who are upset are the Democratic Republicans. So those are Thomas Jefferson's people. Thomas Jefferson is a major Francophile. Yeah. And the ambassador from France to the United States decides that, hey, France would be a lot better off if what happened? Britain and America didn't get along. Right. And what is the number one thing that can happen in this election to make that so? Jefferson gets elected. That's right. Yeah. The the ambassador from France to the United States decides, hey, my life would be a lot better if Jefferson won this election. So he uh, starts openly electioneering for Thomas Jefferson. He was openly campaigning for Thomas Jefferson, going around the country saying, oh, you have to, you have to elect uh, Thomas Jefferson president. So in the end, Ambassador Adet going around campaigning for Jefferson is what hurts him because, and this is a point made uh, in an article I read in the Mississippi Historical Mississippi Valley Historical Review Journal. <laughs> My God, Eddie, we're 
You must take the longest d- dumps on the face of the planet <laughs> <laughs> to have that much. What, what, what can I read today? Oh, look at this Mississippi Valley political journal. We do know that Mississippi finishes last in education, correct? Oh my God. <laughs> Was it like a was it more like a picture book? <laughs> well, I only read it because you know who went to Mississippi Valley State University, right? Oh, who's that? Huh. Jerry Rice. Oh, there oh you go. Yeah, yeah, Jerry yeah. Rice, yeah. 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 That guy. <laughs> yes. The great scholar Jerry Gerald Rice. Gerald Rice. So this uh shows my manliness because it's about being a football fan at go. its core somehow. So the point that uh, DeCon makes in this article in the uh, Mississippi Valley Historical Review of <laughs> History or whatever it was called, <laughs> it made Jefferson look like the pawn Ooh. of a foreign government, and the electors would have nothing to do with that. Think it, about it's that. Actually, Think about it's, how- it's fascinating. That is, we we have gone really nowhere I mean, from the way we listen. Take... We're joking, but this is this is like fascinating stuff. I mean, if you really want to, like, well, you know, it's think fascinating. About... But you know what? Americans really don't. Americans want their leaders to be American. That this this un untapped, um, you know, someone that's not. Not a puppet to anyone, and the people that are voting for Trump, by the way, do not think that he's a puppet of anybody. They they think he's a he may be a bully, he may be a little bit crass, but they feel like they feel like it's America versus the rest of the world, and Trump is their champion. They're not they're not seeing him as some puppet Putin. That's on the Democratic side. This is not like Jefferson being seen as a French puppet. It's the people that vote for Trump think it's us against the rest of the world, and they yeah. see Hillary as a kind of a world puppet. Yeah, I think that's a totally true story, and I mean, I guess the episode we do many, many, many weeks from now Can't about wait. the 2016 election mm-hmm. is going to be lit as hell. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's what's happening in 1796. The, people are saying Thomas Jefferson is a puppet of France. We're going to find out that he's really not the country is going to survive Thomas Jefferson's eight-year presidency. You know, but think about this, Eddie. I get, As you're talking, I'm thinking that of the folks that were in the colonies at that point, the, and especially the people that would have been elected as electors at this point, they would actually vote for president, are going to be very English, right? Even Even if they have their issues with England at that point, they still grew up in a time and and a lot of them probably weren't even born here. Well, most of these people were, were born they, in they England. They were born in England, yeah. And they grew up in a time when the French were hated by the English, right? Hated. And you've got some guy walking around saying, "Hey, I'm your friend now," in a French accent to to English speaking folks. They're never going to trust this person. Well, it's it's funny to me that you know the French were always our ally versus the Brits, right? And and it, it's playing out to where we are actually allowing a platform for an ambassador of France, you know, to to, to speak to us. It's just it's just I it think really is at, fascinating. Yeah, but I this. think if you look at history, they were always kind of an ally of convenience, right? Because it's like we need somebody, and then there were the French, right? Well, it's kind of it brings up the 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 you know, the, the strategy of triangulation, right? If, if you have 
maybe the, the the lesser of of two evils. The enemy of my enemy. Yeah, exactly. The enemy of my enemy is going to be is going to be my um is going to be my my friend. It's such a split because at this time so many people still hate the British. Right. Because of the revolutionary war and you know the French helped us with that General Lafayette who is going to be a good friend of uh old James Monroe when uh-huh. we get to that. So the French, it, it's half and half again. Uh, you'll find more support for Thomas Jefferson in the South, more support for, you know, the Anglophiles and John Adams in the North. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a typical thing. It's going to happen over and over again. It's It's a 50-50 split. A lot of people love the French. A lot of people don't know that the French Revolution is not the American Revolution. So how close was this election then? It was pretty close. John Adams, the Federalist, came out with 71 electoral votes. Thomas Jefferson, very close behind, 68 electoral votes. Oh, that's close. Pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. I mean, if you think about it in context, it's really close compared to George Washington who won both elections unanimously. Right. So what's the, I guess, what's the, the feel after this election? After, after we say this is this tightly held, and I guess it at some point goes to the Senate or, or wherever it goes for someone to say, yes, John Adams actually won. Is there some fear at that point that things aren't going to settle back down and we're not going to say, okay, everything was cool with Washington because we all agreed. But now half the country doesn't want this guy to be president that we just elected. Was there some kind of fear or or at least thought that this wasn't going to work like it worked with Washington? There wasn't at this point because Washington had been a Federalist and now John Adams is a Federalist. And there's a continuity to that, that, yeah, you lost some people, but America still has a Federalist president. It's So it's not to that point yet. We're going to hit that point in 1800. Let me, let me ask you this, Eddie. How many people in America really cared at this point other than the members of the Electoral College? Is you know, Joe Blow, the, the, the farmer in, in, in southern um, South Carolina, does he really care who is president of the United States, this brand new thing? Or, or are they more concerned with just being left alone to live their lives as freemen. You know, the Electoral College was set up under the belief that Joe Blow, the planter, would not care who was president of the Mm -hmm. United States. But the presidency from the very, very beginning has captured people's imaginations. Everybody loved it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Whether they loved or hated who was president... They did care right from the beginning, which was a shock to the framers who never expected. They gave the states the ability to choose the president because they did not think people would care, but they did. Wow. Like, because the presidency is a symbol, is so much bigger than the clerk who executes the laws passed by the Congress. Is there is there a case to be made that there is maybe just a hint of a favoritism f- to have elements of a monar- monarchy 
without having the monarchy. Because to me, you look at it, they, they love the position of the president, very similar to the way a Brit loves the position of a queen. And to me, there's hints of that, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Remember, at this point, they're, before Adams is elected, they're calling George Washington as an excellency. They bow to him. They don't shake his hand like, like what happened now. They bow to him. That's what the magic of the presidency is, is that is our version of the person. You know what I mean? The monarch, yeah. but they're not. And it won't be until John Adams that people are like, you know what? Let's really mock this guy because <laughs> uh, he is no George Washington. But it's going to be the next election, guys. The election of 1800 that's going to be the most amazing, shocking, awe-inspiring nasty, crazy election in American history. Was there anything that happened in 96 that was a precursor that people, would, an eyebrow would be raised to say, oh, this is getting funky all of a sudden? Well, it's going to be the Anglophiles against the Francophiles again, just like it was this time. But I do want to say that we talked earlier, I said that one of the greatest things to ever happen to the presidency was George Washington stepping down. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that the greatest thing ever to happen in the history of the entire presidency is going to be John Adams stepping down. Because John Adams didn't want to retire. He wanted to be president again. Uh And he was not supplanted by someone from his own party. He was defeated in re-election by someone from a party that he totally disagreed with and thought was a nightmare, Mm -hmm. and he still stepped down. And that is the really amazing moment in American history. That's the moment much bigger than Washington stepping down. He wanted to step down. He was being supplanted by somebody from his own party. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even in the running. John Adams stepping down is the big moment in American history. I mean, think about it. This is not all that different than, like, President Obama sitting in the White House handing the keys over to President Trump. I mean, I would say, and Eddie knows better than I do, that Adams had such a distrust and dislike for Jefferson at that point that he thought we were in a lot of trouble with this guy as president, and still he walked away and trusted the system. To that point, I, I look at this and I say, you know, you've got a uh, an election in 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 1796 where you have someone that obviously did not want to lose, but he steps down. He followed in the same idea that Washington stepping down could be an honorable thing, and it's really setting the table for other American presidents to do the honorable thing. Very similar, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people thumb the middle finger at Richard Nixon as he as he as he leaves office. But even then, if these guys don't do the right thing, I think if you fast forward 200 years, you've got Nixon that doesn't do the right thing. I mean, think about what Eddie said. So so Washington stepping down is one thing, but you have two people in succession. One proved that, hey, we're not going to have someone 
in, in office until they die for life. And then the next one is we're going to have a transition of power. Even if the guy wants to be president and we say we don't want you anymore, he's going to step down and walk away. And that's what makes us unique compared to the rest of the world, right? We don't have that say in the rest of the world. shed of blood. Right, that says, hey, you're out of here. We don't want you anymore. There has to be revolution. No, we're just going to have an election. And if we don't like it, you're gone. All right, now that we sang his praises, let me let me add one more thing to it. After the election, when the Democratic Republicans won back won the House and Senate for the first time ever, Democratic Republican wins the presidency for the first time ever, they're going to pass a new Judiciary Act that creates all kinds of new courts so that John Adams can appoint as many Federalist judges to the judiciary as he possibly can, as fast as he can, and get them confirmed so that Federalists will really remain in power forever, even if the president becomes a Democratic Republican. <laughs> there you go, John. There you go. See, we knew you had a trick up your sleeve. So the next election, I'm looking forward to it. It sounds like it's going to be really salacious. Going to be the most interesting election in American history. Next episode. So it changes everything. Any any teaser for next show? Oh, man, let me think about that. Election of 1800, news headline, biggest news headline from the election of 1800 that you're going to read in any newspaper that you pick up. Thomas Jefferson is dead. To be continued, everyone. Hey, you got to come back for the next episode, and if you haven't yet... Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, by the way. And and by the way, go out and subscribe to our other podcast. Eddie has his own podcast, Politics for Patriots. We have a podcast called Politic. We'd like you to subscribe to both of those. And then tell your friends about this, Every Election Ever and Beer. Make sure they subscribe. Make sure they're listening. And come back for the election of 1800. It's going to be off the chain. 